at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, NBA Draft Week. Woo! Yeah, uh, the NBA Draft is, is, is already kind of a, a twisting, turning uh, labyrinth of, uh, of things going on for, for Syracuse players in particular. Um, Malachi Richardson's gone from off the board to, you know, possible top 10 pick. Uh, Michael Benege has gone from off the board to potential late first pick. Um, I feel like Malachi's probably going to end up around 15. I feel like Benege is probably going to end up somewhere around 40, if I had to guess. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, it's, we, we, we've heard about the potential promise that Malachi got from Memphis, reportedly, which... Uh, Dante Green will tell you might not necessarily be like 100% real, but I think often those promises end up working out um, just because, you know, teams, if, if they have been made, teams don't want to alienate agents and whatnot. Uh, so, and that sounds like about the range where he should go anyway, uh, somewhere in that 15 to 20 range. You know, I like the Memphis fit. Yeah, that'd be a fun fit. I mean, they need storing in the worst way. He'd probably be uh, relied upon to play in the rotation right away. And, and they might need like immediate dart help as, you know, as is just because it sounds like they're going to lose Mike Conley. Obviously, he's a different position than Malachi, but um, I think there are worse places, uh, all, although they do seem to have a little bit of, like, potential franchise upheaval in the next couple of years. Oh, yeah, I think the grit and grind era is over, and we're uh, we're definitely looking at a new Memphis, and one that I'm not really sure what it's going to turn into. Um, I know the Knicks had originally been looking at Mike Conley. I think that ship has sailed after today's news. Uh, unfortunately, but I, I think a lot of other things open up for him um, elsewhere, um, whether it's San Antonio, which seems like it's going to be freeing up some cap space. Dallas is freeing up a ton, um, even if Dirk does come back, and I think he will. Um, don't know about Darren Williams and, and uh, Chandler Parsons. So I think Dallas could be a potential landing spot. I mean, a lot of teams have salary cap space, and, and a lot of teams, especially when it's like a two-player draft, um, don't necessarily want to wait to rely on some of these guys who in most years would probably be outside the lottery, you know, to round into rotation guys. Yeah, so that's where you get, like, all the intrigue of, like, Boston at three, who seem to be doing everything they can to not have to draft there, even if it means <laughs> shipping out the three pick for Gordon Hayward, who's a nice player. Um, probably not one that would usually warrant the three pick considering his contract, but uh, the three pick just doesn't have the value this year. Like, the three pick this year is, like, what like maybe an eight or a nine would be in, you know, heavier years. So um, NBA offseason, like it comes real fast, just like legitimately on the heels of the finals. Um, and even without like the, uh, you know, people were obviously the Durant watch is on, even though I very really struggle to see him doing anything but signing a one year extension in Oklahoma City. You can't leave. Um, Not after. What yeah, it just doesn't year. make sense. Um, next year, maybe. Uh, and then obviously LeBron kind of shut down all the speculation about him, which, you know, if you thought he was going to leave after two years back, like, I think you were, I don't know what you were thinking. Like even LeBron who defies, you know, conventional wisdom pretty often 
couldn't imagine that happening, uh, even if they hadn't won the uh, finals. So, um, yeah, that's fun, and it's, it's great and to see the uh, Syracuse guys involved. Obviously, Mello um, seemed to be involved in the Derrick Rose stuff. Uh, apparently, he contacted Rose last week. Um, now you have Benajay climbing draft boards. I don't know. I mean, who's allowed – I don't. I don't know that, how they enforce that. That was a report from someone that he reached out to Rose. But, that but was you know, well, sure. <laughs> I guess if he was a free agent, it'd be more of a problem. True. I mean, I guess it, it might have been like a, a you know, if we do this, are you interested? Feeler thing. Um, Clearly, Chicago was, you know, working on it already. I don't think this thing happened, like, this morning. Oh, yeah, and Melo had um, always wanted to play with him um, for a while now. I mean, a couple of years ago when he was thinking free agency, Chicago. I think Chicago's always been near the top of his list if he was going to play somewhere uh, besides the Knicks. And I think part of that was Rose. I don't know if it's Rose in his current form, but, um, you know, I think this is one of those kind of... I told you beforehand, like, when we were talking about it this afternoon, like, I don't really... I don't love what was given up for him, especially because it's a you know this is the last year of his deal. But I think the Knicks could potentially re- if, if Rose can play at a better level than he did last year, even if he doesn't hit his MVP season levels, I think that he can still um, you know help push the Knicks kind of over the hump and into that forty to forty five wins range, assuming that Porzingis um, you know grows as projected and assuming that this this team can also grab another piece um in in free agency especially now to replace uh robin lopez yeah i'm obviously not a Knicks fan um i think it's a decent move if only because robin lopez is a nice player i don't know that he was going to be the building block of a championship team um jerry and grant like could develop into a really nice player but i'd say odds are he is probably a role player um, just based on like the odds of like any player developing into a star. Uh, and with Rose, you know, I'd say, what's there, like a 15% chance he like suddenly becomes the player he was? Maybe that's even too high. Um, but even if he's what he was last year uh, and stays healthy and puts in chips in like what, 16, 6, 16, and 7 ish, um, you know, that's a solid upgrade over Calderon. Um, and if not, if it's a total disaster, uh, the fact that now you're out from under Robin Lopez and Calderon and you can dump Rose after a year, um, you can kind of commit to either, you know, building around the triumvirate of, of Anthony, Rose, and Porzingis and whoever else you add, or you, you have a pretty easy out now to just scrap everything and start rebuilding around Porzingis and going that direction. So I think it might actually give the Knicks some flexibility um, in the long-term or, you know, maybe then it's just become a kind of like middling, you know, mid-playoff tier Eastern Conference team, which uh, you can argue whether or not that's what fans want. Um, I think we'll just take the know. playoffs at this point. I know everyone forgets that, you know, a few seasons ago we were the two seed <laughs> in the East, but it did happen. Um, and we were actually pretty good that season. And, and before the Warriors showed up, we, uh, we set the single season record for threes. But... Uh, it hasn't been that long, I, but I think because of just the, the continued failures, it feels like it's been forever. Um, I, I think you're right, though. I think that, 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 that gives the Knicks more options. I think Lopez wasn't like a burdensome contract, if only because I thought he was a good piece at the five. But beyond that, yeah, I'd say if you're going to ship out um, $13 million for him, I think Calderon was up to eight in, in his entire Yeah, something like year. that. And then Grant was probably he's 
was just outside the lottery, so he's probably hanging around what, like one point three? Yeah, somewhere like one between one and three. I, I don't know how the uh, I don't know exactly where he was, but it shouldn't have been that much. But yeah, he's the one. Like if Grant blows up and turns into like an all star, then it doesn't look good. But the odds of that happening are pretty low. Yeah, I mean he could, and 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 I think my one hesitation I told you was like Grant in a deal, fine. Lopez in a deal, fine. But if it's both, seems weird when I feel like Lopez. Lopez could have been shipped for on his own for Rose or a rotation guy, or like a you know higher rotation guy. Or I feel like you could get rid of Grant for you know an early second. Um, so yeah, I would have preferred those options, but nonetheless, you know it, it is what it is. Um, I don't think the Knicks are done. I don't think the Bulls are done. I, I think there's a lot of teams that given the amount of money that can be thrown around this summer and how shallow the class is, is that we're in for a very wild um, bit, wild and confusing bit of spending. Yeah, I'm excited for tomorrow. I mean, just based on today, there was that trade. There was a three-way deal between Atlanta, Utah, and Indy uh, where George Hill got shipped to Utah. Now they have like eight point guards. and uh, They're the Timberwolves. And T got shipped. (laughs) Well, they have to get rid of someone. Trey Burt's probably done. Uh, Who knows if Dante had some... (laughs) Um, and then the, the Pacers acquired Jeff Teague, which is a nice move for them. Um, and I think uh, Atlanta got the 12th pick. Yes. So now they have 12 and 21. They could package that into something bigger, like, or they could, someone else is speculating they might dump them both uh, to free up uh, potential room to re-sign Al Horford because they don't want to pay uh, the rookie deals, which is kind of a weird <laughs> weird reason to acquire the 12, but, uh, but sure. Um, so a lot of uh, a lot of moving parts. I think tomorrow might be kind of crazy. I think last year was pretty boring on draft night, if I remember correctly. Uh, there was a lot of like speculation and not much happened uh, trade wise. Or am I misremembering that? I believe you're correct. The year before there was a lot going on. Yeah. So this year it seems like the NBA is like. I think we've kind of moved in the like we're in like the post tanking era now because I think uh, Philly was like the grand experiment for the whole league and. That clearly, whether or not you think they were doing the right thing, um, which I think you can make arguments on either side, clearly the fans, a large segment of the fans weren't happy. Uh, another segment isn't happy that they strapped it like midway through. Um, and it kind of worked because they're going to get Ben Simmons, but it kind of didn't because they just had, they didn't make a lot of forward progress. So it seems like the league is like kind of done with the idea of like the full multi year tank. Um, so now you may be making the playoffs and just trying to hang around like. Uh, and, and just trying to be in contention in case something happens is now going to be the the new vogue again, uh, which is interesting. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm all in favor of it. I think the more uh, meaningful basketball at the end of the season, the better. Um, I, I've always been a big fan of the uh, the Bill Simmons uh, theory of the teams that don't make the playoffs have to play in a tournament, um, and, and the winner gets the first pick. That was always just a fun theory for me, and it's one that I would still support. But, yeah, I do think if, if we're going to move away from this uh, heavy tank, um, I mean, I still think that the Lakers are the only team that could still pull it off. I think even the Knicks have have such a – the fan base is so fragile, um, and, and the fan base is, is just so easily aggravated that I just don't think – like. We, we had a one-year tank, and then, and then we you know, went back to being a middling team. I, I think that with the Lakers, they're the only fan base that can survive it, if only because they have other things to do during the season if they're not watching games. Um, I feel like every other fan base yeah, would, would absolutely revolt 
Um, and that's what you're seeing from the Sixers, and, and I think you see from uh, maybe the post-Steve Nash Suns and, and, and some other teams that have kind of, and the Timberwolves too, teams have been hanging around there for quite some time. Yeah, and I think there's also, like, with the big city fan bases, like, there's just so many, like you said, there's so much else happening, and there's also, like, a fair bit of, like, fair weatheriness there, where, you know, if someone draw, like is in a, a diehard, you know, Laker fan, maybe they pick up the team and they're watching every game when they're good, but otherwise it's just, you know, whatever, it's not a huge loss to them, so. And the Knicks fan have just been beaten into submission, so they're just, if, if, if good things happen, I think they'll take them, but if not, I think you're just going to, you know, the status quo is, is what it is, so people aren't too, uh, t- going to be too broken uh, broken up at this point, because it's been so bad, aside from a couple of years ago when they had that 50-win year. Um, so, I don't know. I, as a, I'm not a Nets fan. I'm a Nets fan, as we've covered in this podcast many times before, but I don't have any, like, particular disdain for the Knicks, so it would be, uh, I think it would be fun to be in the city if they were good. Um, I would just hope my team finds its way out of the endless gutter uh, sooner than later. And that's a whole other story because who knows how they go about doing that. Fair enough. Um, moving to actual Syracuse things. I know like we started Syracuse-ish and then we ended up going into a, a Knicks, Nets, and Grizzlies cast. Um, Dr. Gross decided to follow me out to Los Angeles. How about that? He, uh, he didn't get the Davis job. That was not surprising, to be honest. Um, yeah, now he's at Cal State Los Angeles, and I, I am I'm looking forward to seeing the, the rebranded taxis soon. Um, all right, so answer, because I just I legitimately could not think of this when it happened. Are they D one? I know they're obviously not. They are FBS, not. They are but, not D one. Ooh. They don't even have football. Ooh. <laughs> so he <laughs> sounds like a good job for Doctor Gross. Um, <laughs> They're the what are they, they're the Golden Eagles. Golden am Eagles. I, I was hoping they were the Screaming Eagles, <laughs> but no, they they the Golden Eagles. How quickly does Doctor Gross say that he intends to elevate them to Division One? Um, First press conference. You know, he kind of implied it already. Like, oh, that's cause, amazing! Because what do you say? Well, because he he inherited this job from his old boss at USC, Mike Garrett, and. Garrett says, you know, he did all these things, and then Gross comes in right away with the messaging about how he's going to continue to elevate the program. And, like, he doesn't say it, say it, but, like, you get the feeling. And, and to be honest, the fact that there's only uh, three D1 institutions, eh, well, depends on how you define them. There's, there's a few more than that. There's UCLA and USC, obviously. There's LMU, um, which is D1 in basketball. Pepperdine, also D1. Um, and then you have, like, a couple other, like, hanger, like schools just, like, kind of hanging around. So you got, like, your UC Riversides. And, like, if you go a little bit further south, you've got, you know, you've obviously got the Orange County teams. But uh, who else is around? Because I guess Riverside's not really L.A. area either. Um, you've got a couple other programs. But yeah, like, Cal State L.A. and, like, Cal State Long Beach is obviously, like, kind of the, at least in L.A. County, like, the pinnacle of the Cal State schools. Um you know, and it's kind of on that next rung underneath San Jose, Fresno, and uh, San Diego. So, yeah, you're – I mean, Cal State LA could become – they just don't have the, the student body of the campus or anything like that, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe he decides to turn Cal State LA into, uh, into LA's college team or, or something similar. <laughs> I just – I really hope that he, like, just goes real big to start just as it'll be fun to watch from, from afar. And also, I'm reading their Wikipedia page, and uh, the, only, the one thing that jumps out at me is that their uh, athletic facility is named after Billie Jean King. 
Um, so you can prepare for that to become the Billy Jean King uh, Heroes Sports Complex, or Legends <laughs> Sports Complex. Because, you know, why, why name something after a pure person when you can name something after a person and then a uh, unnamed other group? Well, he he, uh, he named he name dropped her in the uh, in his intro uh, press. Did she go there? Yeah. Okay, that's good. It's better. It's not just like they randomly named something after Billie Jean King. It's like yeah, whatever. That's just that's like all those uh, New York high schools named after JFK and, and George Washington. <laughs> just like, hey, Sam know. Elliott went there. They should name something after Sam Elliott's mustache. Yeah, like the football team. <laughs> Oh, this is going to be fun. I, I we we need to keep 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 an eye on on the good doctor going forward. It'll be easy from here, actually. I might just start. I might just start like a spinoff blog. <laughs> oh, death. Doctor Gross. Doctor Gross is an absolute pediatrician. Doctor Gross is an absolute. Uh, he's something. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Gross is an absolute something, and then it's it just chronicles the uh, the Cal State uh, Cal State LA Eagles um, and, and their their preponderance to D one that that I decide based on quote unquote sources <laughs> to start discussing. You're going to be the, the the West Virginia dude of Cal State Los Angeles <laughs> of D two schools in the uh, greater LA area. It's realignment, man. You don't even know. It's a real realignment. It's that pure. It's that pure shit. The California Collegiate Athletic Conference is dead. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. Um, in other uh, Syracuse staffing news, uh, Mackie McPherson's coming back, barring admission, which I don't really think is a question. He's the grandson of a legend and went here anyway. Yeah, and didn't, I mean, I'm sure he had pretty good grades considering his brother is like a four, like, just like a five O GPA or something crazy, so... I'm sure uh, Mackey's at least kind of in that realm. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there'll be any question of whether he uh, qualifies. I think that's it's awesome for him to come back. I know I, I wasn't a huge fan of seeing him on NC State sideline. Uh, and what Louisiana forward. Tech before that? Yeah, it was La Tech. Which you know what I think that that is something I think everybody needs in, in, in their coaching stories. A little bit of even if it's for a year, that like everyone needs nowhere. to make a trip to Ruston. <laughs> But yeah, like the middle of nowhere, like this sucks, and the, the and the, you know the cap on this is uh, is what's it called? The Royal Purple Las Vegas Bowl. Like they were pretty good. Like I, they were pretty honestly. Good. You you could do worse than uh, learning under no- noted former rival coach Stip Holtz. <laughs> Roll damn Holtz! I mean, the guy said we, we've talked. I think about we talked this. about this. One yeah, of the like, weirdest coaching careers. Yeah, one of the weirdest coaching careers, and and when he takes over the Tennessee job. It's going to be great. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, and then I guess our last bit of Syracuse thing before we get away from Syracuse things, as we normally do. Um, recruiting. It's been really busy. Uh, we've had three recruits in the last four or five days. Uh, a lot of wide receivers in this class. We've got three out of six so far. Um, Dan, how many more do you think we can add, especially knowing that some of the guys that uh, Tommy DeVito in particular wants to add are in that wide receiver or running back mold? Um, it's hard to know because we haven't seen a full Babers class, but uh, it seems like we're going to be using more wide receivers at the very least. So, so you know, getting the numbers up there is probably important. And also, like, the, the receivers fit very specific um, roles in this offense, even more so than the offenses we've run before. 
So a guy like um, we just brought in from uh, San Thomas Aquinas, Josh Palmer, he's like 6'3". Uh, people think he can fill out a little bit. He's going to be more of a flanker. Um, where the other two, uh, their names are both escaping me, um, but we, got, we just stopped. Uh, wait, let me. We got Nikon Johnson. Ni- Nikon and, Johnson, yeah. And Sherrod Johnson. Yes. So Sherrod Johnson's, I think, like 5'11", so he's more like in between, you know, not a, a total slot guy, but that's probably going to be more of his role. And then Nikon Johnson, or Nikeem Johnson, uh, hopefully someone gets us the correct pronunciation there. Um, I think it's probably Nikeem. Uh, sure. He's supposed to be a total burner. He's like five nine, but he runs like a sub four uh, four. I think he clocked in officially at like four four two in the uh, the opening regional. That's um, insane. And I think he was the. I, I saw this, and I could be wrong, uh, but I'm pretty sure he was named the wide receiver MVP at that region, the DC regional. Oh wow! So that's really good. I mean, that's not like a South Florida, but it's not like you know Vermont. He he. I'm sure he had some solid competition there. So and he's everything by I know he's unrated by. Yeah. But I saw Rivals has him as a three. Rivals and 24-7 both have, have him as a three. And, like, when he committed, I just saw a lot of national guys talking about it. Like, he was a guy that was definitely on the radar. So um, I definitely expect him to be uh, someone that we'll see get bumped in those rankings, um, which, again, always shows you how important they are. Um, and then uh, Josh Palmer was, like, very, very squarely on the radar. He's floating around, like, top 100 in Florida, which is really good. Um, he's another guy. I mean, he's at St. Thomas Aquinas, which is a huge program. Um, and a place we actually have a nice pipeline at. Yeah, we've had, like, uh, in and out uh, Casulo uh, connections. Um, Even but, with Casulo uh, gone, we've, we've managed to continue. I mean, and, and this is a testament again today to, to uh, Monroe that, that he's able to, to – I mean, we, you know, we talked about how good George McDonald was, well, quote-unquote was – uh, down in Florida, and I feel like since he's left, we've actually like tripled our, our Florida commits. And you look at the class of 2016 that had what seven guys, um, and now this year's has two. I'd say we're probably on track for at least five, if not more. I mean, that's to me that that, that that's a that's a great job by a young staff just getting in there and understanding how important Florida is, especially for this program. Yeah, and targeting guys that aren't going to be. You know, you don't want to spend a lot of time with a guy who's going to go to Florida or Florida State. Like, you, 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 if you think you have a, a legit, shot, legit shot and he's a big kid, that's fine. But um, And eventually you want to aim high. But they, they seem to be going after these guys who are floating a bit under the radar, just haven't quite blown up, um, but are, are still talented players. And in Florida, it's way easier to, you know, there's, there's guys that just don't quite get the attention as others just because there's so many. Um, I mean, there are probably you know, a few, maybe two, 250, uh, I mean, wide receivers in the state of Florida that can play D1 at some level. It's just, uh, so there are going to be guys that just aren't quite as heavily recruited as they probably should be. Um, and we're being from Florida while you get all of this exposure as a, as a whole, uh, might not get like the individual attention that, um, you know, in another state where they dominate and put up crazy numbers, they would. But I think, I think, uh, with Johnson, I think, um, Either Johnson or Palmer, I forgot which one. Uh, actually, it was probably Palmer. I think it was today because he's from the, the bigger program. Like he really hasn't had a huge role in the offense yet because he's at St. Thomas Aquinas. You're going to have to wait your turn. You have probably two D1 guys ahead of you. So hopefully he has kind of a breakout year this year and Syracuse manages to hang on to him. But uh, they both seem like really good additions, especially considering how explosive Baber's offense uh, purports to be. So and it's, it's good, too, because I feel like those types of guys, you know, are, are the ones that – 
can easily more easily plug into. It's not always the case, but can more easily plug into a college system and say, hey, like we got, you know, we have these veteran guys here. Like, you know, we want you to be able to wait your turn. Admittedly, like you think at first, you know, there are a lot of wide receivers on the Syracuse roster, but a lot of them are in their second two years of eligibility. Um, and outside of, you know, Brisley, Irv, and, and Steve Ishmael, there's no one who's really shown a ton yet. Um, I know Dante Strickland got switched over to halfback. Um, you know, obviously there's guys like Jamal Custis and uh, Adley Anoisi, two guys who I think were, were highly lauded when they first came in under Schaefer and have been underused since, who could break out. But yet you, you look around that roster and, and even you know a guy like Alvin Cornelius, again, guys at their, the back half of their eligibility, um, there's going to be a huge sweeping um, shift in this offense. And I think Babers is kind of, you know, getting out ahead of that, especially when he sees that um, positions like, I'd say, linebacker and, and offensive line and maybe even running backer are already, you know, well accounted for. Um, so I think we might see a bigger stress on, um, you know, D-line, receiver, um, quarterback uh, in this cycle, especially when we only have probably about 18 scholarships or so to, to deal with. Right, and, and it was also kind of an issue that we, like you said, outside of a, a very small handful of guys, like we, we don't know what we have from a couple of guys that we were excited about getting, um, especially those bigger receivers. So uh, Babers, you know, he doesn't have, obviously everyone knows what Steve Ishmael is. Um, you know, he hasn't put up some huge season yet because he's been limited by the offense, but like quantity. Um, but otherwise, like there's only two or three guys, him, Brisley, uh, Irv, who, you know, spent most of his career running back. Um, so even if the other guys do pan out, uh, Babers does need to make sure he has the numbers to run the offense. So um, I'm not too surprised to see uh, a big influx in receivers because that is so important. Yeah, and I, like we said, that makes three so far. Um, and I bet we add at least one more. I know there's a couple other targets uh, we were talking to in the last couple weeks. And again, guys that... Uh, that Tommy DeVito, the quarterback commit, has been talking about really wanting. So I think we'll see. Um, but either way, I mean, this is going to be an offense uh, built on speed and built on how much you know it, its its receivers can stay on the field and make plays and cycle out. And I think having you know we're used to having maybe two uh, you know decent receivers, maybe one who occasionally breaks through, whether that's um, you know an Alec Lemon or or whether it's a Steve Ishmael or there's always like. I feel like we never have like a full uh, complement of wide receivers uh, who can contribute, and I feel like um, if not this year, next year, where we're going to have a very deep uh, group of receivers. And you know, uh, when uh, when Nikeem Johnson uh, committed yesterday, um, and, and for those listening on Tuesday, um, I know Bleacher Report had that uh, that Tavon Austin comparison, and that was, I mean, again, you talk about the speed that, that you mentioned um, and, and the size; it just He's, he's very shifty, he's very elusive, very hard to, to take down. Um, and I mean, maybe he had, he's going to have to add a little bit more weight, obviously, at the college level, but um, nonetheless, it seems like a, a wrinkle that um, Babers has had in the past, but not maybe to this level. It'll be, it'll be very, very cool to see um, you know, what a player like that can do, especially playing um, half his games indoors. Yeah, I mean, that, that video they put out, that was actually from like two months ago. That was from... I'm not sure it was that opening camp where he had a big performance, but that wasn't even like prompted by uh, the Syracuse commitment. That was something something that someone found. So, um, but yeah, he in that video he looked incredibly just as fast as build, and 
He also seems to have really nice, like, fluid movement and does isn't like a, a jerky runner. Like, he, he definitely knows where he's uh, had to, you know, occupy space in the football field and, and made people miss. So, uh, definitely, definitely uh, excited to see what he can do. And, and hopefully we get some fun highlights uh, this fall from him. Very much agreed. Um, Dan, why don't we talk a little beer? What, uh, what have you been drinking? Uh, so, down in the Philadelphia area uh, this weekend for a bit. Um, so, I had a couple things from uh, friends who live right near the. Uh, I'm going to kill this. Conshohocken uh, Brewing Company, which is very local in a suburb of Philly. Um, I had their Island in the Sun, uh, which was a very summery IPA, um, really light. Uh, I think they have. Uh, they, brew, they brew it with pineapple. Um, yeah, it was, it was actually probably a little even more pineapple-y than, uh, than the Stolpen, but um, not overpoweringly so. Uh, and then they use a, a bunch of different hops, but uh, definitely not like a, too much of a hop bomb. Um, so that was really nice and refreshing. And it was at like 8.9%, which like I had no idea until you know after I finished it. Um, it's a really interesting one there. Uh, I also had from them, I thought I had more than one thing from them, maybe not, or I forgot to check in. But uh, I also had uh, Ridiculous from Founders, uh, which um, was definitely like quite hoppy, it, it, as the name would tell you, and a 9.5%. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty intense, but um, it was actually way more malty than I thought it would be. Um, not in a bad way, just like I wasn't expecting that flavor. Um, and they do build it as like a PA. Uh, so that was an interesting one. Founders always does good work. Uh, so we had a bomber of that, and then I got to try Goose Island's Experimental Summer, uh, which was quite good, um, which I hadn't seen up here, so I was glad they picked one of those up. Um, that was probably the happiest thing I had this uh, this weekend. Um, I think they used, like, uh, two or three different uh, varieties, and that was uh, definitely the, the... I think that was actually a double. Um, and then I had uh, some grapefruit stolpin, some all-day IPA, the, the normal, the standards. Uh, but those were the new the new things. Nice. Yeah, I know. For me, I always like I I I like a single hop beer, but I think anyone on the West Coast, especially, you get conditioned on Stone, where Stone uses like between seven and ten, like minimum. All, all the hops. Yeah, all the hops, and you just kind of you get so used to that like kind of dynamic flavor profile, you just kind of gravitate toward it. Um. On my end, um, I might have mentioned this last week, but Main Beer Company uh, randomly shows up in L.A. Uh, last week and had a special tapping of lunch uh, at one of my local beer shops. So got to have some fresh lunch in L.A., uh, a rare treat. Apparently they'll be back here occasionally. It seems like draft only, no bottles, which bummer, but um, maybe next time they bring dinner. Fingers crossed. Um so you had Stone Mocha IPA. I think I mentioned it last week. Um, they brewed it for the Liberty Station anniversary last year and now bottled it this year. Uh, very good. Dan, I would highly recommend grabbing some. Um, definitely has a, has a good balance of, uh, of kind of chocolate coffee and, and it's in some hops on the back end. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, it, it, it actually it does it really well. I was a skeptical when I first tried it last year, but again, definitely delivers. Um, had Ballast Points uh, Barmy. It's a uh, kind of apricot uh, golden ale. Um, on the heavier end, I, I didn't even realize it was like around like nine and a half. Um, but still, 
good beer. Um, I had a Vliette from uh, Threes, very good uh, German-style Pilsner from them. Uh, Aaron Goldfarb sent that out this way. So once again, thank you, Aaron. I had um, see, I had chocolate salty barrels uh, from uh, from the brewery. It's a uh, in some parts a uh, brewery joke, in other parts a South Park joke. For those who are familiar with the uh, chocolate salty balls bit from way back in the first seven to eight seasons of South Park. R.I.P. Chef. <laughs> R.I.P. Chef indeed. And, uh, and that was it. Uh, as far as new stuff, uh, I was hanging up in Big Bear, so I just kind of brought whatever I had in the fridge um, rather than spend a bunch of money up there on, a, on not the subpar beer up there, but they have like a couple breweries and they don't make like amazing stuff, so it's probably just easier to bring whatever I have in my fridge when I go up there. But yeah, that's, uh, that's beer. Which brings us to... The American Athletic Conference, Dan. Wavy the wave. Roll them wave. The All day. best team <laughs> in the, the, the sport's best non-power conference. I mean, that sounds like blasphemy, and Houston fans might get a little pissed off, but you know what? <laughs> I'm, I'm all about it. Now, I mean, Houston <laughs> didn't hire Willie Fritz this offseason. For nothing. <laughs> It's like they have a coach or something. Almost. Tom Herman will be elsewhere soon. (laughs) Houston's never been in the SEC. Ain't played nobody. Tulane played somebody once back in the 60s. Tulane used to play people all the time. They were in the SEC. They and LSU were rivals, uh, my uncle has told me. Long time. Yeah. Tulane Tulane is a very storied program, and I've seen them play live. I, uh... I mentioned this before that I saw the Sean King team um, back in the '90s against Army, and it, it, it got ugly for for the Black Knights. But nonetheless, uh, Tulane's fun. They got a cool history. We have a fun relationship with them online because for some reason Dan and I started talking about them on a regular basis um, and got on Fear the Waves radar. Uh, so that's been fun. Um, Athlon, who I do buy their magazine, uh, they say Tulane's going two and ten. I say that's blasphemy. I'd say that you'd be hard pressed to to find to find eight losses on the schedule, just because of the amount of parity that is in uh, the American Athletic Conference after probably that top four. But Dan, feel free to doubt me there. Um, it's tough to know because like the American had such a, a weird season last year, like in a good way for them. Um, but you're relying on like Houston to. Uh, maintain its level which it, it's kind of like a you know if you've just watched the games uh you're like oh yeah Houston was awesome they don't they lose you know some stuff but they still have Red Ward and they still have Tom Herman so they should be really good but then you uh if you're a Bill Connolly devotee uh which I generally consider myself you know his numbers are like very skeptical of them being quite as good as they are although then you watch them like drub Florida State so I, I kind of don't know where I fall in there the bowl um, game spike, though, it always, always happens. And, and, and I'm, I'm on board with you, both in terms of following Bill and in terms of believing in Houston. But, yeah, I, I think that there's always a team like Houston every year. Um, and, you know, maybe, and funny enough, we, we talk about the bowl game spike. I mean, talk, go back to last week when we were talking Mountain West. Um, you know, Boise State was coming in the season ranked top 20. 
and, and then look what happened there. And, and that I felt like the same thing with them. They were returning a lot of pieces too. Um, I don't think Houston can fall off to that level if only because I think that they have more just more talent. They're, they're out recruiting Boise State. And, they're and out recruiting them. like us. So well, yeah, <laughs> they're out recruiting a lot of people. They have like and they signed a five star last year. Didn't he leave? No, he's there. Huh. He signed. There you go. They had a couple yeah. of. I think they had a four star as well, and he. I think he ended up with like Texas or something. But That's they're funny. they're recruiting like legitimate, uh, like blue chip talent. Not like a ton of it, but they're the guys in the city of Houston. They are getting after, and they are, um, you know, making a case for, which is crazy because, you know, generally when you have that that gap between the power five and the group of five, like it's it's hard to to bridge it. Um, and they're doing it. So unless yeah, unless you're located in one of the most talent rich areas of the entire country and the closest program is coming apart at the seams. Hi, Kevin Sumlin, how are you? Yeah, and then you have the issues at Texas, uh, which actually don't even seem that bad anymore, and you have now the issues at Baylor, which seem worse than they probably uh are even publicly acknowledged as. Um so it's a good time for Houston to do this because right now you have you know, TCU is the most stable, uh, successful program in the, in the state. Um, and they're, you know, still kind of a, I wouldn't say it's, it's probably not fair to call them a upstart program at this point. Cause they've been good for a while, but you don't know if they're ever done, if they're going to maintain like the big 12, almost champion level status that they've had the last couple of years. I buy uh, it. Top 15. Th- they could dogs. because Gary Patterson's awesome. Yeah. Um, but you know, Boykin's Dawn, et cetera, a lot of their main weapons are gone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a good time for Houston to strike like this. And then they also managed to not have Georgia or USC, probably two of the top ten, conservatively, uh, top ten jobs in the country, um, go after Tom Herman. Uh, I mean, may, I think South Carolina went after him a little bit, and he, you know, that's easier to turn down. But then, uh, like, Georgia just seemed – like they a thousand percent wanted Kirby Smart and they got him and more power to him. He's working out well so far. Uh, USC just did USC things. So even though Tom Herman's a California native, uh, they didn't seem to even give him a phone call. Uh, at least well, as far as we know. He's a USC degree. No, he has never been there. Probably. I mean, he's, he didn't study at USC. How would you ever win football games there? The unique challenges of winning at the the most prominent program in the Pac-12. How can any good football coach that hasn't been there before do it? Um, USC is really stupid when it comes to hiring. I just to be honest, I feel like I could win six games there. I, 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 I'm beginning to think that you, and this, even with the Dr. Gross thing, I think that USC people just hate interviewing. They just, for whatever reason, that school has like a very no interview policy. So no, you know why? It's because their their network is so strong out here that they don't have a need to interview. So then, when you want to interview them, they're so appalled. But they're like, "Why interview? We know Daryl. Daryl will be great." Okay, we. <laughs> It's we're, just... in, we're, we're industry people. We, we went to USC. <laughs> Why interview when you can just look in your alumni directory and pull out an... Yeah, it's, um, it's Clay's play, here. Just, we don't want to make someone move. Yeah, that's... You know, when, when Clay is coaching Western Kentucky in two years... Lynn just got a golf membership out here. I mean, he's going to be here all the time anyway. Might as well hire him to lead our athletic department. Oh, is, whatever Lynn does, I'm sure it'll be better than the last guy who... I now realize we just did this exact same bit last week. Yeah, the same uh, exact bit. And we haven't even talked about the Pac-12 yet. So, 
Uh, yeah, so USC probably should have tried to hire Tom Herman. Um, so now, like, I, I was wondering about this today. If Charlie Strong gets it together, which is not off the table, I still kind of believe in Charlie Strong. I think he's a good coach. Texas yeah, has some unique challenges, and I Texas think Texas just snagged, uh, what's his name, from uh, Baylor. The uh, DuVernay, the really good receiver. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was huge for them, and Charlie Strong had a really fun celebration. Uh, so if Charlie Strong turns it around, what's Tom Herman's move? Does he wait for, like, maybe Urban up at Ohio State? No, A&M. Does, like, Some, someone's getting fired this year anyway. Maybe A&M, but, like, is A&M that, like... You don't even have to change your brand. I, you, just, you, just, you just say own You just city. move, like, 40, 40 minutes, yeah. Yeah. I guess A&M's not a bad move. Like, that's still a big... But, like, I feel like I'd almost feel like I missed out because USC and Georgia were so set on their hires. Maybe you just wait on USC again. But, like, I'd, way rather, I'd rather be at both of those schools. Yeah, because, like, USC could open up in two years. Um... Well, no, then obviously Sark's coming back. <laughs> Sark, Sark's good. Sark's cleaned it up. He's coming back. Maybe Lane. Maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe Lane, Lane, after getting a, a, probably a second national championship as the OC at Alabama, they're like, Lane knows how to do this now. He's Lane, good. Lane, Lane, Lane knows how to do this, but let's have Pete Carroll as his OC just in case. <laughs> That's a retirement gig. <laughs> oh, God. It's the USC and Texas podcast. I don't know how this happens. You've been Trump too, Lane. You're out. <laughs> no, the, 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 they'll come back. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right, though. I think Herman's move... I don't think Herman's move is Texas. I feel like Herman's move is... I, I think I, I think it's got to be A&M. I, I, I don't know where else you go. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Not even Oklahoma State, right? Like, I don't think that's... No, you don't go to Oklahoma Park. State. You, you can do way better. You do Oklahoma... If, you do Oklahoma, if Stoops but I gets don't, bumped, I don't think I think Stoops has solidified himself. I, I think Fire Stoops train was ready to go before last season started, and, and now Stoops is fine, and, and now Oklahoma's fine again. Um, yeah, I think that most of the SEC programs are also too conservative to hire him. He hasn't coached in the SEC before, and he has yeah. never coached for Nick Saban, the the one golden yeah, guy. Mostly, mostly. Um, I'm going to make a so bold prediction, though, <laughs> and no matter where Herman ends up next, I'm going to predict that Tom Herman is the next head coach at Ohio State. I think whenever Urban Meyer retires, he'll be the he'll be the uh, the heir to that throne. Yeah, I buy that. It's not like it's not like Urban hangs on to his assistants like for a long time. He lets them fly. No, and they love him up there. Like oh, yeah. you look at the drop off in the offense from 14 to 15. Like they, I think Tom Herman's stock went way up between what he did at Houston and just Ohio State. Like. By the end of the year, they were obviously really good, and they figured it out with Barrett. But like, it just wasn't the same team for like eight weeks um, in the post-Herman era. So, I bet that'll happen. But maybe that's you know, who knows how long Urban to retire after next year, Urban to coach another ten years. You never really know with him. Yeah, I, 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 I'm giving him five. Sounds about right. So yeah, I mean, Herman. The thing is with Houston, Houston's in a unique situation. Um, because they are a, a large public school um, in, in, a, in an oil-rich city uh, with a lot of old rich alums, football history, to be honest. Like a solid um, one it, for like what they yeah, are. Yeah, like a really solid one. And, and, and they do have, they do have the, the, the bankroll to keep him from every school except for the top half of the Big Ten, um, the entire SEC... And maybe four teams in the Big Twelve. Like, 
most most Power Five schools have to battle more than that to keep their coach. So I, I think Houston's in a unique situation that if they want to keep Herman and if Herman wants to keep them, I, I think that you know we might revisit if we're if we're a couple Fiesta Bowls down the road with him that. You know, suddenly five years doesn't really seem like that long of a time. And if he's just racking up wins down at Houston, um, you know, it, it's a perfect fit for what he would want to do, what Ohio State would want to do. Um, but again, a lot of speculation. Yep. yep. Why else do we have this podcast? If not to talk about Tulane and speculate wildly and make fun of USC. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously Houston's a well-situated program, and I think that they're the, the, the best-situated program in, in the Western Division by a considerable margin. Um, and the East is a little bit more parity. I think you've got, um, you've got the resurgent Bulls. I think that USF, um, who does face Syracuse this year, um, went from, um, you know, Willie Taggart on the hot seat to Willie Taggart is going to lead this team to the Orange Bowl in record time. Um, I think Temple is another, you know, you and I always talk about jobs that, um, you know, we thought would be open. We thought guys would jump. They didn't this past offseason, despite how many openings there were. I think it's because there were a lot of dysfunctional openings, um, probably more than normal. Um, Matt Rooley is a guy who who you figured would jump and didn't. Um, And maybe now he doesn't. Um, I don't, you know, without, like, thinking about what jobs open up soon, um, it just doesn't seem like he's on the radar to leave just yet um then obviously cincinnati um you know tommy tuberville i feel like always has one foot out the door anywhere he is um but cincinnati is is now in like year 10 or so of probably more at this point 10 to 12 uh, of what's become a, a very solid you know bowl game or bowl game at bare minimum program which is pretty awesome for them and i, I think the Bearcats should be the best team in the division in the East, but yet for like the third straight year, they aren't. Yeah, Cincinnati, I think they're the most reliable team. Um, they have Tuberville, who's just a really proven commodity at coach. Uh, they have Dunner Keel, who came on really nicely when he wasn't being uh, concussed every week. Um, the main issue for them is that they lose like their entire complement of receivers, which is a really nice group last year. Uh, I think their top five receivers are all gone, which is pretty crazy. Um, so that's a little bit to overcome, but when you have a, a talented quarterback, obviously it makes up for it a bit. Um, I'm just like, uh, USF I really like on paper, and obviously they came on super strong last year, unfortunately beginning with the Syracuse game, and they bring back a lot of those key pieces. Um, it just seems like uh, almost might be a little bit of a regression candidate just based on how strong they came and how they were profiled to come beginning of the season. Uh, same with, everybody's back. But everyone's back, and... Like, on paper, that means, you know, oh, this they built on the eight-win year and now turn it into something. But we've seen that go, you know, they, we've seen teams plateau with that profile all the time. Um, but on paper, I think they, they should be the favorite um, because they were, I mean, they were awesome at the end of the year. Um, Temple, kind of the same thing. Like, they were really good last year, but I think they, uh, they won a couple, like, really tight games. And by the end of the year, people had kind of figured them out. Um, Obviously, they played Notre Dame real tough, but after that, they they finished uh, losing three of six. Um, not to anyone bad. I mean, it was USF, you know, drubbed them, but USF was rolling. Uh, they played Houston tight uh, at Houston, but, you know, nine-point victory for the Cougars. And then Toledo beat them pretty badly. Uh, Toledo's a really nice team, but, you know, people had high hopes for Temple in that game. Um, so I'm not sure if, like... Uh, 
if they're a, a regression candidate, it just seems like something has to give at the top of this league. Um, and it, it definitely, because Houston's over on the other side, like the East, it seems like as a whole, it, it's unlikely that they all play at the level that they did at the end of last year. Right. Yeah, like you're not going to have five, you know, eight-win teams again. Um, it's five eight-win teams without Cincinnati winning eight games. Yeah, and then obviously Navy, like, Navy's going to do what it does, but they don't have their all. They don't have Keenan Reynolds down, and Keenan Reynolds was awesome. Like, he was an incredible player that deserved all the athletes he got. So, like, they should take a pretty justifiable step back. Yeah, and you know what? There's no shame in that, and I think that that's. Oh yeah, they're in the West. That's so stupid. Navy's in the West. <laughs> hey, well, Navy wanted to be in the West. Well, because they recruit so much from Texas. Oh, I guess that makes sense. It's still dumb. I agree, but who else would you put in the West? Cincinnati. That's that. That would create divisional imbalance. Basically, like it, none of it makes a lot of sense. Like everyone, no, no one in the East would make a lot of sense. I Cincinnati would make the most. Um, so sure, I guess Navy can be in the West. Yeah, and since they're the Naval Academy, I'll, I'll give them that request. I think, you know, Navy. Navy obviously knows what it's doing. It knows who it is, and it has uh, more resources than the other two service academies. Um, by way of an actual athletic department that actually functions to make money and have a budget and and be successful. Um, Air Forces is successful, but not via the same avenues, and Army just doesn't have the money, despite having a very large fan base, um, for obvious reasons. Um, It's the nearest option for uh, downstate New Yorkers, and yes, that is a Rutgers knock. (laughs) And I think that, you know, you go there, you see the pageantry of it. I mean, I've been to, to Michi Stadium, and I think it's, it's, it's a great place to catch a game. Um, but, yeah, I just don't think Army has the ability to, to, to catch up with Navy at this point based on what Navy is able to do and the conference money that they can take in. Um, being in the American Athletic Conference, I mean, they're, they're lapping uh, the other group of five uh, conferences. But what we're seeing now, I think um, – you know, everyone's kind of buying into, okay, like here's another season with, you know, four or five eight-win teams. And I feel like we thought that about the Mountain West just a couple of years ago. And, and now, look, the Mountain West is like a two-deep league. Um, you know, the American could regress. I don't know if they'll regress that steeply, but um, there are a couple of programs that just could do poorly this year. I mean, SMU, probably not going to do too great. UCF, same deal. I mean, East Carolina gambled pretty hard this offseason. Um, you know, UConn kind of loaded up um, on on some easier wins last year. Uh, again, our beloved Tulane gambled, but probably gambled well in the long term. And even Tulsa, you know, it's another team that that maybe you could make the case lucked out. Like, there's a lot, there's a lot of case to be made that this could easily split itself in two and become, you know, five to six halves and five to six have nots. Yeah, the one thing I will say is this league overall has made just some brilliant coaching moves. It's almost like the oh, yeah. it, it almost uh, is like the smaller version of what the ACC did this year, and obviously the ACC would actually have to prove it, um, like the AAC has. But obviously you have you have uh, uh, Herman doing Houston, which has been awesome. Um, Rule at uh, Temple has worked out really well, and like Temple just shouldn't be as good as they are. Um, Memphis obviously now has to uh, deal with losing Fuente, uh, but I thought they made a, a nice hire and. Norval, um, but then even at the bottom, like SMU, it's going to take them a bit. Uh, but I think Morris is them in the right direction, or at least you know Morris is the right coach, scoring some points. It'll take, they'll have him around for a while. 
UCF, they might still be at the bottom of that league next year because I'm assuming that a Scott Frost offense takes a little while to get, you know, rolling. Um, but at least, you know, it's an interesting direction. Uh, you kind of, you, you know what you are. You have access to a ton of talent. He's going to, uh, it'll probably be an in-and-out in job for him just to prove that he can build a program and install that offense because no one's really done it with the Oregon offense anywhere else before. Um, and then he's just gonna wait for he's just gonna wait for uh, what's his name to get fired over at uh, at Nebraska. Riley, yeah, I mean that's the obvious. Which one. could be this year. It could be this year, but I think I mean people are people are really high in Nebraska because they lost like three or four coin flip games last year, and the West seems kind of like weird because no one expects Iowa to do what they did again. And uh, Nebraska, it seems like they're they're going to like either have a really nice year or totally flame out. Seven and six. Put you down for that. <laughs> And then obviously Tulane with Willie Fritz, like that's a very different identity than anyone else in this league. Even obviously Navy has their option, but but the the Georgia Southern option isn't quite the same animal. Um, so you have this really interesting array of just different strategies, and it makes for a very fun league, even when there is, like you said, that really distinct uh, cutting point between the two. Yeah, and you know I think that that that's a a good point to make that. Um, this league has become a lot of fun. I mean, I, I'm glad we're not a part of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, would never want to be in it. But fun yeah, from the that'd outside. That'd be miserable. Yeah, fun from the outside. <laughs> and, like, you know, the, the makeup of it's just odd in general. I mean, you have you have three incredibly large state schools, uh, Houston, USF, UCF. Um, you have three private schools. You have one service academy. Um, you know, you have, a, you have a rising team in Memphis and, and Temple, too, really, that, that kind of time to jump correctly. Um, then you've got this like kind of stalwart in Cincinnati, and you've got the team that wants out in Connecticut, um, and that, that leaves out Eastern Carolina. But East Carolina, um, it, it also has a, has a pretty nice history um, in its football program, um, and you know they're only about twenty years removed from a top ten ranking, and, and and all these other things. Like, there's a lot to like about every team here, and and, and you know we talked about it with CUSA that. Um, they were banking on future brands, and I don't think those future brands are going to come the way they, they thought they were going to. Um, American Athletic Conference bought on brands, it bought on history, um, and it bought on resources all at once. Uh, and I actually think that, that it's worked out even... I think it worked out, to be honest, better than the Big East Football Conference did, despite the fact that those programs might have had more in common on paper. Yeah, it, it just seems like, you know, when you make good hires across the board, it's... Uh things work out well and obviously like i said before the acc is kind of done the same thing at a obviously a much bigger more you know a, bit, a higher level um but if they if they i'm, I'm laughing because of an edit that i recruit uh, just <laughs> i'm gonna retweet this and you're gonna see it and laugh and i'm not trying to give any contacts to the, the listeners that's fine <laughs> um yeah, yeah. We're, we're hoping. <laughs> um, Why would you I'm, do I'm, that? I'm, I'm, I'm going to. All right, I'll give some contents. There's, there's a player who just committed to South Carolina, and he goes to Vagos. He goes to Vagos prep. prep, and and he had one of those edits that one of the Twitter people does for all the kids because that's a thing that people do, and half of his jersey is. Vagos Prep, and the right half of his jersey is South Carolina, and parts of both of those words are in the jersey, and 
and I'm a 12-year-old, so you can you, figure you, out what happened. I think you have to be a, I think you have to be a 12-year-old to find this funny. Oh, or you just look at my Twitter feed. Good lord, this is stupid. <laughs> I mean, this is this is good. This is all. This also makes for some great audio. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is this is the joys of live radio. Um, an unedited anyway. podcast. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes edited if one of us drops the call. <laughs> well, yeah, that's about the limits of it. That's that's like the the one instance. Um, that totally derailed my point about the ACC coaches, and I don't even care. <laughs> that's fine. Spending a little bit more time on Tulane uh, because you brought up a great point. Uh, Willie Fritz was an inspired hire, a non traditional hire. Uh, one that I was actually surprised that Fritz made, just because um, not that Tulane's a bad job by any means. I actually think that they. I mean, other than being a private school, um, I think that that is actually a lot of advantages to that job. Um, but yeah, I, I think Fritz. Are, are you giving him three years? Do you think before we really see this thing fully operational? I mean, it looks like the the brand is getting back on track. It seems like the the on campus stadium is going to help them get back on track. It looks like overall Tulane is definitely a program on the rise, even if it's going to take maybe you know s- some more time before we see the the, the, the full kind of uh, results of that. I think you have to give him some time. I mean, it's a tough league. Uh, Tulane's coming from, I mean, aside from that, like, random bowl game the year we played them, they're not coming from a lot. Um, they have the new Stampus Stadium. They, they're installing an entirely new offensive system. I think you have to give them at least three. Um, otherwise, like, I, I don't think Tulane can be in a position where uh, where they're just cycling through coaches like that. So, and, and Fritz obviously has a resume. It's not like he's, you know, this upstart guy who had one nice year as an OC or something. Like he's a guy who's a, a proven uh, head coach. I think they got to give him, you know, at least four, unless things are like an abject disaster. Yeah, I, I, I think he gets. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading the comments underneath this stupid tweet. <laughs> did, did you read? Did you read the first one? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is just the dumbest. This was the dumbest podcast before. Now it's just turned into the worst podcast. I can't wait till UConn. Until there's one UConn fan who decides to listen to this and realizes that we're talking more about this recruits Photoshop than we are about the team, which beat Houston yeah. last year. Oh, I'm crying over here. It's stupid. Yeah, well, well, while we're at it, why don't we talk about UConn, I guess. Um, <laughs> we have to. Now, we, uh, we kind of have to, just because, like, we talked about USF a little bit. We are facing UConn. Um, people fashion this to be a little bit of a, a toss-up game. Um, I fashion it to be a game a little bit more in Syracuse's favor. I think that it's not that UConn got fat on bad teams last year, but they certainly... They certainly didn't overly impress other than the Houston game. Um, UConn also hasn't really recruited well since Diaco arrived. I don't know if that's really... It's not necessarily a knock on Diaco. He's obviously done a very good job in-game coaching, but I think as far as you know, getting talent in the door, that's going to catch up to them eventually. Um, I don't know if that's this year, but I, I do. it's going to be very hard for them to surpass the six wins from last year um, based on the schedule and, and just based on, you know again, it's the overall incoming talent. Um, Obviously, we've got to head over to Paws Arf for a little uh, little rendezvous with our old conference rival. Um, but yeah, I, I've got us winning that game, but but I 
I would put a lot of spotlight on UConn in general as just a bit of a case study because, um, you know, if, if UMass is ever going to become anything more, it's going to have to look to UConn to kind of get that blueprint. Um, and I, I, again, I don't, I just don't see it. You know, that stupid Fiesta Bowl at the side, um, which was just a product of the Big East being awful. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't see. I don't see how UConn really turns into more than it is right now under Diaco or anybody else. Yeah, I, I think this is a big year for Diaco. Obviously, last year he pulled off. I mean, that was a really, really good coaching job by him last year. No one expected him to be that as good as they were that early in his tenure. Um, I don't know how much longer he can afford to kind of uh, stay there because, like you said, recruiting there is just a, so, such an issue, um, especially when it's – I mean, just as someone who played in Connecticut, like there is more uh, – of a spotlight put on the top in state talent in Connecticut, even if that's only like five or six kids every year. Um, and because, uh, because of where UConn is now, it's, it's becoming very hard for them to get those guys in state. Um, a lot of, there were not a lot of favors done by the Randy Edsel, uh, administration, uh, in that regard. He did not put a big focus on UConn kids, uh, or Connecticut kids rather. Um, although I'm not sure how much that's still carrying over, but I know there were like a lot of hurt feelings among the connected high school football coaches. Um, but anyway, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting because they, they have a tough schedule. It's just look at that mid set mid stretch. Obviously we in Virginia are both rebuilding, but neither of those is a, you know, anything close to a easy win for them. Uh, Virginia you know, should be improved. We should definitely be improved. Oh, and they have Navy in set week two, which I kind of missed. So you have Navy, Virginia, Syracuse at Houston, Cincinnati at South Florida, until then you have UCF. Um, like UConn, if they split those games, they'll be thrilled, and that's just a really tough stretch. So um, if they, I think they just need to be gunning to get back to a bowl. Um, and even uh, Sitz wins might be like that. That might be one of those cases where Sitz wins is actually way better than it looks, considering uh, what UConn is and and the the talent. Uh, gap that they'll have with even most AAC teams. Yeah, I mean, how far... I guess, do you think that, that six or seven wins is kind of as good as it's going to get for, for UConn? And also, how much longer do you think Diaco's there? Um, I Unless they find a way to start, like, competing for the top kids outside of Connecticut and, like, going after uh, top kids in, like, Pennsylvania or New Jersey, which it doesn't seem like they're super involved in right now. Um, I can't see the, the, the ceiling being a lot higher outside of, like, that one really, like, lucky year. Um, and then with Diaco, I mean, if he keeps on winning, I can't imagine – you have to jump to a job eventually. Um, so I was, I'm almost surprised he's still there. Um, but, you know, it, it, coaches seem to be moving at different paces now than they used to. Um, but if he continues to put, uh, put them in bowl games – you know, people understand what that means coaching at UConn, especially coaching like a, a re, you know, he rebuilt UConn. It wasn't like Pastelloni left him in a, a very good spot. So um, I don't think he'll be there for much longer uh, unless he has like one of those weird 10 years where he doesn't quite bottom out, but doesn't, uh, you know, do anything to inspire a lot of confidence from outside programs. But, you know, he also has like that Notre Dame background. It's not like he, he was actually a pretty big name hire for them when it happened. He's a, he's a guy I've, I really wanted when we ended up hiring Schaefer. So um, that might still carry him through, uh, even if UConn doesn't really take it to the next level. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty accurate summary. I think that's a good way to, to end on uh, on UConn, who, uh, who, again, is on the schedule, and uh, that's cool for them. 
and hopefully we beat them because I don't really want to hear about it if we don't. Yes, please, please beat UConn. I, I, I can't deal with that if we lose to UConn. And it's on the table. UConn's pretty good, so hopefully, uh, hopefully we don't have to worry about that in September. Much agreed. Um, all right, uh, Dan. Any other parting thoughts? Nope. Uh, Roll Ham Vagros Prep. Also, side note: the uh, the last hashtag on this tweet is we cocky, and I'll just leave that here. <laughs> that South Carolina is like recruiting buzz thing, like. And and but yet, for here it just it goes so much further. Oh, so good! Everyone, everyone, enjoy that tomorrow morning. Indeed. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks for listening to Troy Noons, an absolute podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk. And uh, yeah, talk to you next week. <laughs> Have fun with this one, everyone. <laughs> Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.